I'm just curious this morning, and I want you to raise your hand really high. I'm, I'm going to kind of ask two questions. The first is this. Raise your hand and hold it up if you were born and raised and spent like your whole life in the Nashville area. Just raise your hand if that applies to you. Wow, a couple of you. Okay, that's, a, that's amazing. That's kind of a rare deal. Now, I know this is going to be the rest of you. Raise your hands high if you were born and raised in some place other than Nashville. Raise your hands high and lift them well, that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, I was curious what that was going to be like since our co- a lot of our college students are gone today. Um, it, it, it's, it's amazing, you know, every week uh, I come in contact with, with people on both ends of that spectrum. Uh, and, and the reality is, I feel like more often than not these days, I'm coming in contact with people that were not born and raised here, right? Like, have you ever kind of noticed that it's kind of almost weird when you meet somebody that was born and raised here? You're like, wow, that's, that's crazy. You didn't come here for music or college or for a girl. That's incredible. <laughs> that you were birthed by God into this city because like, it, it, you don't seem to find that much anymore. But you know, it, it's amazing to me when I start looking around and I start thinking about all of the ways that we got here, whether you're born here or whether you, you moved here for, for college or for a girl or for a job or for music or for whatever it is that brought you here. It, it's amazing to me when I start asking the question, okay, of all the cities on earth, why are you in this one? Like, why are you in this city? Have you ever asked that before? Have you ever just like really stopped and thought about like, okay, of all the places like you could have, you could have like landed, like, like why like did you land in Nashville? You know, I remember almost 10 years ago really asking this question for the first time. I, I wasn't raised in Nashville. In fact, I came here for college and I thought I'll be here for four years and then I'll go back to the East Coast and, and that's, that, that was my plan. I thought that's how it was gonna work out, but... Uh, about 10 years ago, I had been in Nashville at almost 10 years at that point, and I thought, man, maybe this plan isn't going to work out the way that I thought it was going to work out. And I started asking God really kind of for, for the first time, okay, God, why is it, why is it that you've put me in this city? Like, of all the cities I could have landed in, like, why is it that you have me here in this city? And it was during that season that the Lord started taking me to a couple of passages of Scripture. One of those was Acts chapter 17. And we've talked about this passage a lot over the last 10 years of the church, but I love Acts chapter 17, where Paul is speaking to a group of people, and he says, I want you to know why it is that you're in the city that you're in. He says, because God knew not only the time and place and history to which you'd be born, but he also knew the place where you would live, because he knew that by, by you being there, the people around you would reach out and would discover that God was never far from them. That's what Acts 17 says, is that, that you're here in the city, not just because you were born here or not because you moved here for music or not because you came here for college. Like, you're here in the city because God has a plan for your life. And there's something about your personality and there's something about your gifts and there's something about the way that God has hardwired you that, that in this city, he has a plan for your life. And it's not just for you, it's for the sake of those that are around you so that they might reach out and discover that God was never far from them. That there's something about your life that the people of this city will encounter the presence of Jesus in uniquely. I don't know if you thought about that before. For the last 10 years, I've just been wrestling with it. God, why this city? Like, why this city, Lord? And I remember it was about 10 years ago when Sydney and I were feeling this invitation from the Lord to, to help start Ethos. And we're asking the Lord, okay, uh, of all the cities, where should we go? And he kept saying, I want you to anchor down in Nashville. We're going, why this city? Like, Lord, there's so many churches here. Like, why this city? The Lord just kept saying, hey, I've got plans for this city. 
I've got plans for this city and, and your life is not the fullness of those plans, but your life is a part of those plans and I want you to see what it is that I'm doing. And it was in that season that he started calling us to this thing that we've now grown to love and call ethos. And we began to realize that the Lord wasn't just raising up a church, he was raising up a group of people who were put on a collision course with God's destiny for their life in the context of this city. And that you're not here just because you were born here. And you're not here just because you moved here for work. And you're not here just for that girl. Or you're not here for uh, that music. You're here because there's something about your life that is uniquely positioned to display the beauty of Jesus to those that are around you, whether you realize it or not. God began putting uh, that stirring, that calling in our heart. And we went and told the church that we were part of, great church. We said, hey, we're getting ready to launch out into downtown. We're going to help plant a church. And they said, hey, we, we, we want you to, to stand up and we want you to share. Uh, we want you in Sydney to just kind of share what it is that God is doing in your heart. And we're asking the Lord, okay, Lord, how do we describe what you're doing in our heart? And so he gave us this passage in Jeremiah 29, 10 years ago, he gave us this passage. And our last Sunday at that church, we preached on Jeremiah 29. And I thought, man, how fitting would it be here on today, which is our last Sunday at Ethos Church, that we preach on Jer Jeremiah 29 as well. I'm kidding, it's on our last day. I just, just seeing if you're awake, okay? It's the nine o'clock. I hope we've got like 40 years left together or something, okay? Here we go, Jeremiah 29. I want you to read this, Jeremiah 29, verse one. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So I'll give you just a little bit of context. The people of God, they had been taken by force from the place they wanted to live, which was Jerusalem. They had been taken by force into this, this place called Babylon. And so now all of a sudden they found themselves living in a city, living in a region that they didn't expect to be in. Now our circumstances are not apples to apples here, okay? <laughs> They're not the same, but the Lord began to speak to me because I remember 10 years ago going, God, I didn't see myself living here like this. Lord, how long are we gonna be here? Lord, what is it that you have for us here? And he, he took us to this passage. And I love this because the prophet Jeremiah, he's speaking to a group of people that are living in a place that they didn't expect to live forever. And this is what he says, jump down to verse four. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all of those that have been carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give them to your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, that they may increase there. Do not decrease. This is the verse I want you to hone in on with me, verse seven. He says, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if the city prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Don't let the prophets and the diviners among you who are prophesying lies in my name deceive you. Jump down to verse 10. Because this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and you will come and you will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. 
I love this, this moment. The people have found themselves in a city they didn't expect to be in for very long. And they're waiting on a word from the Lord. And the word that they were wanting to hear from the Lord is, hey, just a few more days, then I'm gonna come and get you. But that's not the word the Lord gives them. The Lord says, no, it's not a few more days. He says, in 70 years, I'm gonna come and get you. And he says, but I don't want you to lament that reality. I've put you here on purpose. You're here for a purpose. And here's what I want you to do when you're in the city. And he kind of gives them three things, and I'm just gonna highlight them real quickly, and we're gonna anchor down in the third one. But I want you to notice this in verses four through seven. The first thing is, he says, I want you to, to plant yourselves in the city, to, to put down roots in the city, build houses, get married, raise your kids, raise your grandkids. He says, I don't want you to view your relationship with the city as a transactional relationship. You're not there to come and take. You're not there to make a name for yourself. Like he says, I want you to settle down there. Number one, I want you to plant some roots. Number two, he says, I want you to work for the peace of the city. He says, he says I want you to work for the shalom. That was the original word in the original language that this was written in. In other words, he says, I want you to work so that the people of the city would come into a peaceful relationship with God himself that the peace and the blessing and the life of God would begin to flow through you to touch the city that you've been sent to. He says, I want you to plant down there. I want you to work for the peace of the people that are there. And then third, and this is where I want us to dig in this morning, he says, and I want you to pray for that city. He says, I want you to pray for that city to which I've sent you because if that city begins to flourish in the ways of God, it's gonna go good for everybody. See, I believe in so many ways the first 10 years of our church was marked by those first two things that Jeremiah calls the people to, this, this longing to plant down and to work for the peace of the city. And I want you to hear me clearly. We are gonna keep doing that as we come into this next decade together. But I, but, but I believe this next decade is gonna start with that third thing that Jeremiah speaks into. And it was this radical call to pray that the will and the ways of God would flood the city to which they had been sent. Because God knew that it would be the prayers of his people working in concert with his will that would suddenly begin closing the gap between heaven and earth and the place where they found themselves. And God knew that their longing for prosperity and their longing for peace and their longing to plant down would go unfinished if the way was not first paved with the prayers of God's people. And so he says, I don't want you to just plant down. I don't want you to just work for prosperity and peace. He says, I want you to pray because when the city flourishes, he says, it's gonna go good for everybody. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, guys, but we're living in a unique moment in time here in Nashville, Tennessee. Everybody's talking about Nashville, Everybody's thinking about Nashville. And I go, why is it that you are here in this unique moment as Nashville is coming onto the world stage? Because I believe that if this city begins to experience the peace of God, it will go out to the nations. That we are a city that exports everything we do. We export our music. We export our technology. We export our culture. We export our religion. Everything that happens, we send it out to the ends of the world. And I believe if this city would be touched in a fresh way by God, it would go to the ends of the earth as well. I love this. Jeremiah says, hey, I want you to plant down. I want you to begin working for peace quite tangibly. And he says, I want you to pray for the city to which you have been sent.
You know, the, the truth is, up until a couple of years ago, I'd never really witnessed what it was like to see a church contend for its city in prayer. Several years ago, some of you may have been a part of our church then, uh, the Lord called Sydney and I out and our family, we, we spent a lot of that year traveling and we were in Kenya together. Remember uh, this, this one moment, we're sitting there in Kenya with a group of leaders from 10 different nations and these groups of leaders are standing up and they're sharing uh, kind of their mission efforts, what it was that they were working on. And I'll never forget this, this first group that stood up in this gathering of leaders that was there. This group stood up and they said, we wanna tell you what we've been doing, what our mission team has been doing in Somalia. If you know anything about Somalia, uh, you know, it's, it's been a place that has typically been kind of hostile to, towards Christianity, towards the gospel. But they said, here's what we've been doing in Somalia for the last few years. We've been sending in mission teams that have been going into the capital city of Mogadishu and we've been praying there. And they started describing what they've been doing. They said, we went into the capital city of Mogadishu and under the cover of night, because we weren't supposed to be there, we took shovels and we dug holes in the front yard of the capital building and we planted Bibles in those holes and we covered those Bibles up and we watered those Bibles with the, the tears of our prayers. And I'm sitting here going, is this a metaphor? Like, did they literally dig holes? Like, and, and then I realized they literally did this and then they said, we left. And we've been going back year after year, and we're just praying, and we're praying, and we're praying that God would begin to grow up a new foundation in that city that is marked by his word and by the prayers of his people. And they started talking about what God was beginning to shift in Somalia through their prayers, and then the next group stood up, and they started talking about what was happening in Eastern Europe and how this team of Africans kept going into Eastern Europe, and they were contending with God for the sake of the people of Eastern Europe, and they were praying together because they knew that peace and prosperity only came when God had opened the door through prayer. And one by one, these, these groups were going around, and, and they were just talking about prayer and like what God was doing. And I, I began to realize he kept taking me back to Jeremiah chapter 29 to seek the prosperity of the city, but to pave the way through the prayers of God's people. And so some of you remember this. We came back from Kenya and we were set on fire by the Lord. We didn't know what to do with it. And so we, we called our church to that first month-long time of prayer and fasting together. Fast forward, first time we did it. God began to do some things in us. And then we, we've kept doing that at the beginning of every year, and yet in me, I'm just going, Lord, we still, I don't know if we still know what it means to contend for the city, to pray for the city, the way that you call us to pray for the city so that you can do what you wanna do in the city. So I'll tell you a story. Um, earlier this year, it was middle of February, so if, you, if you're new to our church, we take the month of February every year, and we, for 30 days, we pray and fast for the city that God has put us in because we've been trying to live into this. And so, uh, and halfway through the fast this year, I, I'm praying and, and fasting, and that, I was up early that morning praying, not because I'm spiritual, but because we have three little boys, and if I don't get up early, there's no quiet time in our house, and so I'm up praying, and I'll never forget, I'm there praying uh, in the early morning hours, and I start praying for my youngest son, Judah, who at the time was three years old, and I didn't hear an audible voice from God, but I want to be clear, he spoke so clearly into my heart, it felt as though I'd heard it with my ears. He said, Dave, if Judah were to go missing, what would you do? I said, Lord, you know exactly what I'd do. I'd spend the rest of my life looking for him. Spend the rest of my life looking for that guy. And then the, the Lord came right back to me and he said it just so clearly into my heart. And he says, Dave, your city is filled with my missing children, but the church has quit looking for them. He says, I want you to, to wake up the search and rescue team for the sake of every spiritually lost child in the city. I want you to wake them up through prayer. Thought, Lord, okay, how do we do this? What's that look like? 
So the next couple of days, as the fast goes on, I keep praying and I keep praying and I keep praying. And one morning as I'm praying, once again, I just I have this strong impression from the Lord. And the only way I know how to describe it is I just begin to see this vision of our city. Just imagine you're looking at a Google map. I'm looking at this vision of our city. I see every house and every street and every neighborhood and every part of the city. And I just, I saw our church and other churches just going out to every house and every neighborhood. God just raising men and women up. And just this phrase began coming into my heart from the Lord. He said, I want you to raise up an intercessor, somebody to strategically pray. For every person by name in every neighborhood representing every nation that calls Nashville home. Raise up somebody to pray for every name, every neighborhood, every nation that calls Nashville home. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where God begins to, to stir something in you and you know it's from the Lord, but immediately you're depressed and you're overwhelmed by your inability to do it. I'm like, Lord, we can't even keep our prayer time full. Our prayer team's full at the church. Like, how are we gonna pray for the entire city. How do we contend for the city? So a few days go by and I, I keep praying. Uh, that Sunday rolls around uh, every Sunday night at 7 p.m. We end our time together, as you know, with a, a prayer gathering on the third floor of this building. That, that week, I, I'll just confess, I went to prayer, not because I wanted to, but because I'm one of the pastors and I had to be there. And so, I don't know if you ever had one of those moments before. I'm like, I felt so, like, I don't wanna be here, but I gotta go to pray tonight. And so, I'm there for prayer, like for an hour, just kind of, you know, faking my way through it. And I get to the end of our prayer time. And this guy named Tom, who's a part of our church, he comes up to me and he says, Dave, I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to tell you this. He says, I think the Holy Spirit wants me to share something with you. He said, did you know it's possible for you to get a list that has the name of every person and their address that lives in the city of Nashville? And I don't know what I look like in that moment, but my eyes were huge. I was like, totally bewildered. He says, he says I think you're supposed to get the list so our, our church can pray over that list. And so I went out and got the list. And it's a huge list. It's a huge list. And I started looking at this going, man, God, how do we do this? Like, like, how do we contend for our city? How do we pray for every person in the city by name? How do we bring them before you? And the Lord is saying, hey, you can't do this on your own. I didn't tell you to wake up your church. I told you to wake up the churches, to wake up the search and rescue teams across the city, that I might do something, that I might call them together. So God began to, to bring this vision into our hearts, and this is why we've been talking about For the City over the last 10 weeks, because I believe this is all going somewhere. You know, this year, as we, we begin our new year together in prayer and fasting once again, we're not just going to do it with our church. You know, I, I've been visiting and meeting with people, breakfast, lunch, and dinner as often as I could over the last two and a half, three months. And right now, uh, we've got more than 160 churches in the city that have raised their hand saying, hey, we'll be in that with you, Ethos. We'll come do this. Like, I don't know if you know how miraculous that is. Like, churches in Nashville don't eat barbecue together, much less do anything spiritual. But over 160 churches said, hey, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna give a month to pray and fast for every person by name in the city. We have churches all across the spectrum. We have white churches. We have black churches. We, we have churches that are new, churches that have been there for a long time. More than 50 of these churches are non-English speaking churches. We have card carrying charismatic churches and churches that are so conservative that they knew that ethos was leading it, they wouldn't be a part of it. <laughs> and everybody in between saying, hey, we believe God's trying to do something in the city. As of now, he's raised up more than 20,000 men and women in our city that have said, hey, we're gonna stand with ethos and we're gonna pray and we're gonna fast. 
not under the name of our church, but under the name of Jesus. And we're gonna come together under the banner of Christ and his kingdom for the sake of the city that he's put us in. And we're gonna pray. At the end of that fast in February, we're gonna do something that we've never done before. We're gonna ask everybody that's praying over a specific list of names. Every one of those prayer words, you're gonna get a list of specific names in the city to pray for. At the end of that fast, we're gonna ask them to just write a handwritten note to every person they've prayed for, just telling the city how much God loves them. Because it's amazing to me that you can spend your whole life in a city like Nashville and still never touch the hem of God's glory. <laughs> I go, but no more, no more. May we, not, may, may we not be a city marked by religion. May we be a city that has been marked by a radical encounter with the God of love. I believe this is what God's inviting us into. I believe this is what God is inviting us to carry as a church. It's been fun as I've been sharing this vision with people over the last several months. Everybody's like, hey, Dave, this isn't gonna work. You know, churches don't play well together in Nashville. You know, Americans don't pray and fast very well. Don't you know that, Dave? I'm like, yeah, I'm an American. I understand. They're like, like Dave, like Americans don't pray very well. Like this isn't our thing. Like it's not gonna work. And I go, man, I don't believe God's calling us to manage the outcomes. I believe God's calling us to just step out in obedience to see what he's gonna do. I believe saying, hey, will you trust me? And I have reason to believe that this thing is gonna work. And first is the promise of scripture itself. Second Chronicles 7, uh, 7, 14 says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, if they'd seek my face and pray, if they would turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will hear from heaven. I will answer their prayers and then I will heal their land. This is the promise of the Lord. The promise that if his people will come together with his people and humble themselves and repent and pray that their prayers will not only be heard, but that the city that they find themselves in will be healed. This is the promise of scripture. And I think it's gonna work because of the promise of scripture, but it's not just the promise of scripture. It's the proof of history. You can go back, you can see this. There's been no major move of God in human history that was not first preceded by a unified move of prayer and fasting amongst the people in the city. They'd come together and they would humble themselves in prayer. And God would show up in ways that they could never imagine. I could tell you so many stories. I'll just tell you one quick story that relates to the area that we're in. At the end of the 1700s, there were only 16 states in the United States at that point, 16 official states. The two newest states were Kentucky and Tennessee. And people considered Kentucky and Tennessee to be literally the most godless places on the planet at that time, which is so hard to believe because we're now known as the Bible Belt. But at that point in our history, it was the place where all of the murderers and the horse thieves and the bank robbers and the convicts, they would escape over the Appalachian Mountains. They would find a place in Kentucky and Tennessee and they would dare the law enforcement to come track them down. That's basically the way that it worked. It was a godless place. There was a group of 13 people led by a pastor named James McCready in Pennsylvania at the time that believed God was calling them to begin contending for what was the worst, kind of the, the epicenter of the immorality during those days. It was a place called Logan County, Kentucky, which is about 45 minutes from where we are this morning. And these 13 people, they spent an entire year praying and they became so convinced that God was gonna move amongst the people they were praying for that they left Pennsylvania, they moved to Logan County, Kentucky. They started praying, just asking that God would bring about revival. In the year 1800, God began to answer those prayers in ways they could never imagine. And it was like a spiritual time bomb went off, shifting the spiritual Richter scale of the community. And the reason people refer to this part of the country as the Bible Belt 
is because of the radical outpouring of God's grace that led to mass revival through the prayers of 13 people 45 minutes from here. God wants to do it again. He wants to do it again. And God's not just interested in filling our churches. He wants to fill your heart. He wants to move us into what it is that he's doing. It's the promise of scripture. It is the proof of history. It is the prevailing need of our day. Like, I just look around our culture, I go, we're racially divided. We're spiritually divided. We're politically divided. We are, we are so confused. We are so upside down as a culture. And everybody's going, man, look at the culture. It's going to hell in a handbasket. I go, man, if that's true, the darker the cultural moment, the brighter the gospel begins to shine. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. That the darker the moment, the brighter the opportunity for the gospel to shine. It is the promise of scripture. It's the proof of history. It's the prevailing need of our day. And last but not least, I believe this is gonna work because it is in line with God's heart and God's power to change the city that we're in. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that prayer doesn't just change things, it changes us. And I believe that to be true. But I, I just wanna go on record as saying this. I do not just pray so it will change me. I love the transformation that comes for us when we pray but when I pray, listen, I, I'm praying to the God that parted the Red Seas. I'm praying to the God that brought down the walls of Jericho. I'm praying to the Lord that raised the dead to life, that fed the multitudes with a little boy's school lunch. I'm praying to God who doesn't just change us, he changes things, he shifts things. And I believe God is looking for a few men and women that have the spiritual vision to see, to see that he is not the God who was, but he is the God who is and who is to come as well. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that God is not looking to just set up a few nice little churches here amongst the city, but he's looking to radically transform and to bring the city to God. Not just for our joy, not just for our good, but for the sake of those that are around us. So when I think about what it means to be for the city, I think about these words from Jeremiah. He goes, hey, you're here in the city for a reason. Plant down in the city. Work for the peace of the city. But contend for the city in prayer, he says, because when it prospers, when it prospers, the mission of Jesus is gonna go forth as well. And I believe this is what we're leaning into as we come towards Advent together, as we get ready to think about what, what it means for God to move into the neighborhood. That's what happened. He moved into the neighborhood. As we come into the new year and we think about what it means for us as a church to lead this movement of a couple hundred churches with tens of thousands of people to get on their knees for the sake of every person in the city of Nashville, as we come into all of this, we're coming into this with the lens of, okay, God, we're not in the city for an accident. What would you have us do? What would you have us do? And so as we move towards that thing together, I wanna wrap up this series and look into our next 10 years together by doing the very thing that it is that we're getting ready to step into, and that's praying. And I wanna invite you to get out your phones, get out a journal, get out stuff. That I wanna give you just three things, and I'm asking everybody ethos to start praying about these three things from now until February when this time begins, okay? And so three things. The first two things are for the churches in our city, and the third thing is for the people of our city, okay? And so let's start with the church. Number one, I'm asking, will you join me in praying that God would give the churches of our city a heart for unity, true unity? John 17, 21, Jesus says, 
If we will love one another, if we will be one, then the world will know that he was sent from the Father. Did you know that our unity points to Jesus's validity? That when the city sees these Hispanic churches coming together with these Anglo churches and all of a sudden we just become a church, that the city goes, maybe Jesus is who he says he is. When the city sees white churches and black churches, charismatic and non-charismatic churches coming together for the sake of the city, they go, man, Jesus is who he says he is. And so will you join me in praying that God would give the churches of our city a heart for unity? Number two, would you join me in praying that God would fill the churches of our city with spiritual hunger? Spiritual hunger. Jesus tells us, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be filled. The presence of hunger points to the promise of filling. Where there are hungry people, filling is on its way. Would you join me in, in praying that God would make us hungry? I keep thinking of, of the words that A.W. Tozer wrote in one of my favorite books ever, The Pursuit of God. On June 16th, 1948, he sat down and wrote these words that I've read so many times, I basically have them memorized and they seem more true today than they've ever seemed. He said, in this moment that is marked by all but universal darkness, there is one gleaming hope on the horizon of the religious landscape that still appears. And that is that among the people of God, there are a growing number of people who are becoming hungry for God himself. No, they're no longer satisfied with mere right doctrines and correct interpretations of the truth. They want to drink from the fountainhead of life itself. He goes on to say in the opening to that book, The Pursuit of God, he says, this is the real harbinger of revival in our day, is that men and women who find themselves in the churches of God in our culture become so desperate and hungry for God himself that they pray that that hunger would touch the city they're in. I go, would you join me? Would, would you pray? Would you just start praying every day for unity among the churches? Number two, for hunger within the people among the churches for God to move. And here's the third prayer point that I wanna give you, and then we're gonna break up and spend some time in prayer in groups. Here's the third prayer point. This is for the city, for the city that God would give the people of our city an awareness of just how much they need God and just how much God loves them and wants to know them. Pray that the people of our city would, would just start sensing, man, we need Jesus. And that God would begin preparing their hearts for this reality. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I'm going to pray over us and I want to invite you to get in groups of two or three. And we're going to take just a couple of moments and we're going to ask God for unity, for hunger, and for awareness. Lord, let me pray uh, over you uh, as we wrap this up. Father, I love you and I just thank you. I thank you, I thank you for what you've been doing, not just in our church, but amongst the churches of the city, this unprecedented wave of unity and this hunger to see people who don't know you come to know how much you, uh, you love them, God. God, would you fill this church with a, with a heart for unity? Would you fill this church with a hunger for those that don't know Jesus? And God, would you fill this city with people that are growing in their awareness of how much they need you and how close and ready you are to redeem them? It's in the name of Jesus I pray and give thanks, amen.